Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. It's actually Monday night. We're a little bit behind. Uh, and it's January 25th, probably. Right. Just the day. 2021. Day it's going to be released at the same time. We're right on schedule. Right really? on schedule. But the reason... Well, okay. The reason is because we had a big weekend. Big weekend. Not easy to do Not in <laughs> these quarantine times. But we rose to the challenge. We were at uh, Jazz on the Mountain... At Mohonk Mountain House. Yes. In New York. So we've talked about Mohonk before, and uh, we've actually been there previously during the whole COVID thing. Right. And that was. So we knew just... what their policies were. We knew what their procedures are. Right. We felt comfortable with the situation and safe. Right. And uh, so we went back, and we went this and... time because. We wanted to go to Jazz on the Mountain. And we've gone to Jazz on the Mountain twice before. It's every year around this time in January. And what it is, is a, and I'll, I'll describe it generally because they pretty much hew to it here. They put on uh, three concerts a day, sort of. Well, I should say a Friday evening, three on Saturday, and depending on how it goes, let's say two or three on Sunday. Uh, so it's a lot of music. It's a lot of music. Here they doubled up the concerts because they wanted to make sure there was enough spacing in the audience. Which has meant there were two shows each time. You caught one of them. But uh, folks like us got to see quite a bit of music. Uh, again, Friday evening, three on Saturday, and two on Sunday. Yes, they had the seating well spaced right. out. Mm-hmm. And but it, but it, uh, it makes it was live not music. for a huge crowd. Oh, no. No, it was not a huge crowd. And, and Mohawk itself is not and, as well attended. But what you got the feeling was these performers yeah. were so excited. Yeah. To perform live for people. They didn't care if it was two people or ten people. Right. Um, didn't have to be they were hundreds of people. They were clearly excited. And, yeah. uh, and of course, it's great watching these performances because they, they have great performances. We'll give you some details in just a minute. But uh, there was a feeling that uh, there's a lot of good vibes in the air. And a lot of what happens here is that uh, these performers are kind of jamming with each other. Yeah. And you can't do that from a Zoom window. Right. You simply can't. Well, they're and, collaborating. Collaboration yeah. is in the essence of jazz. And how and, are they going to collaborate? And improvise. Right. And it's very spontaneous. So all these people, uh, right. the performers, the um, audience, everybody was kind of ecstatic to uh, be in this right. and we had a, situation. We, we, we loved it. We had a great experience. Um just to give you an idea of the folks we saw and also the kind of folks one sees here, uh, they're very talented. They're jazz performers. They're not household names, generally speaking. Although I think if you're, we don't di- know. If you're we deep don't, in the jazz world, we don't know if you're deep who in a jazz are the household world. names. Well, okay. okay. All right. we, we are not, not real aficionados. Well, no, we're not okay. real aficionados. But so let's not speak to that, okay? Well, all right. Not a lot of big record contracts out there. Let's just say that. But the, the point is that... Uh, they're, uh, they were great. I mean, so we, we get there Friday afternoon. Uh, Are you going to do this blow by blow? Yeah. Why don't you just give us some highlights, okay? Well, I have to go in order. I'm not, not going to no, lose my place. All right, just give it in order, but don't tell them every single thing Okay, I'm not going to tell you. So we see a woman yeah. named Gabrielle Stravelli, who's a jazz singer, and she's in a trio, and she has a great uh, uh, piano player. And what was the third piece? Bass player, right? Bass player who was the uh, arrangement guy. Uh, and uh, her theme was this. Uh, she did Willie Nelson songs uh, done to a jazz arrangement. 
How stupid is that? Yeah. <laughs> you and, know, and, you know, he just gave me the household name speech, she, and now it's how stupid is that? I mean, come on. But uh, no, I'm just giving my own personal opinion. I, I get it. I get it. You don't yeah. mean stupid. It was. It was odd. It was odd. Um, and she gave a good explanation. Right. She loves Willie Nelson. Right. Well, who doesn't love Willie Nelson? Right. But it just uh, most of her interpretations fell a little flat. Well, but she had a terrific voice. Yeah. Uh, she had great musicality. Yeah. Great um, trio. Yeah. Great arrangements. Right. Uh, loved everything, and and a couple of the songs actually did were not. You know so- what was what I thought was odd. What, what I thought was odd. The, the Willie Nelson songs, you know, the Willie Nelson songs I know, like uh, you know, if you've got the money, honey, I've got the time, stuff like that that you have in your mind. You can hear Willie Nelson singing. Her versions fell flat. Those are the ones that really fell flat. But there were several Willie Nelson songs that I wasn't familiar with, especially some slower ones, which she knocked out of the park. Okay. I mean, and, and notably... You, you got to be careful. Yeah. What? When you listen, when you judge people on songs that you love, when well, they're doing covers, and... Maybe that's what's going you're on. You're too stuck on the original. That may be. But all I'm saying, she did a song, uh, Somebody Pick Up My Pieces, and that's the name of her CD, which was fantastic. And it's a song I never heard before. So in any event, uh, you know what, what also happens here, uh, and it's going to be true with the next person too, when you listen to someone like this, uh, you're almost rooting for them at some point. You're saying, I don't know if this is going to work. And uh, when it works, uh, you can see it in the performer's reaction in their face, and you're feeling it yourself, and it makes the event kind of special in a different way, I think. Okay, move along. Moving along. Uh, so the next one was Tuesday, excuse me, Saturday morning was Miss Mabel and the Jazz Age Artistes. I'll let you describe this because it is very difficult. Well, who to wants describe. to go to this? Who wants to listen to jazz at 10 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. And it was ragtime. Ragtime. It was ragtime. Pre, it was in a pre-jazz in a way. Yes. So not my favorite. 1920s, 1910. And we even were, were walking down the hall. There were two performances, 10 a.m. and 11.15. Right. Okay. Really too early and for you, concerts. And you go in to sit down, and Miss Mabel, who's the lead singer, is this kind of uh, pixie-ish figure with a high voice, and she's got a washboard that she's wearing around her neck. And you're saying, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are we right. in for? And and then what happened? She sings. And it's unbelievable. Yes. Really a stunning contralto voice. Deep voice. Deep voice. Nothing like her voice. speaking voice. And I imagined it was like, you know, I've heard recordings of Sophie Tucker. Right. But they're always bad recordings. Right. So I never can figure out what's all the fuss about Sophie Tucker. Maybe it's the jokes. I don't know. But uh, this woman's voice was so engaging, so compelling, so fabulous, and such a hilarious contrast with her speaking voice. And her appearance. Which Her speaking voice is this little squeaky, cute voice. And uh, she was great. She did. um, So they took us through like the history of early music, Mm -hmm. early 20th century music, going from ragtime into early jazz. And they actually, she did one blues number from Memphis Minnie that just brought down the house. Yeah, she was fantastic. So the blues were really great. I, I would listen to her sing blues Anytime, anywhere, so, maybe even 9 a.m. <laughs> we were stuck. Uh, we were flat. So that's the fun of it. You love to be wrong right. in this situation. Right. 
She uh, was she was terrific. Her musicians were terrific. She had a piano player. What was his name? Charlie something. Uh, I'd have to look. You don't have the names there. No, no, they don't have all the names. There. You know, I brought you here to have the names. They don't. Okay, they don't have the names. Anyway, supporting guy. He he gave the history. All right. He's and, called Ragtime Charlie. That's how they refer to him. Honestly. And um, so he was, and he was fantastic on the piano with the yeah. ragtime piano. Fine, right. fine, fine, fine. And then the third member was um, a tuba player. Tuba slash bass player. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was great. And one of the great moments of the weekend for us was, it turns out our room was across the hall from him. And we, we were sitting there Friday night getting ready for dinner or contemplating going to dinner. He was warming up and he played a bunch of standards in his room on his tuba, starting with For All We Know, you know, that great uh, mm-hmm. Donny Hathaway, Roberta Flack um, this is the version I love. Right. And um, it was just this great, almost, uh, you know, very evocative concert coming through the walls. Um, so, so again, the musicality was great. Yeah, I just got his name. Charlie Judkins is the name of the piano player. Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, fantastic. And it was a okay. perfect example of something that surprised Miss Maybell. Right. She plays in Brooklyn. Naturally. Occasionally. Who else would listen to that? Um, and... She's Brooklyn, you know, she's got these vintage outfits. She's, she's Brooklyn all over. It's the voice that throws it. The voice is channeled from a different right generation. Along. Okay, then what, what did we hear next? Then in the afternoon, we heard the Dorman Mater Meter. Meter Trio. And the, uh, oh, oh, that's uh, Miss Mabel got into us there for a second. Um, the Dorman Mater, Meter Trio. And here's a guy who comes out again. He's, he's got a trio. He's got a piano player. And his third piece was a bass player, or, or what was it? Drummer? Can't remember. But in any event, uh, it, he comes out. Oh, he's a bass. You remember the oh, bass. Oh, it was a bass. That's right. And he plays saxophone and sings. He primarily sang, and he's very polished. Very polished. Well, uh, he's, he's an arranger also. and he Very uh, musical. And he yeah. comes in with Sinatra-like songs. And he starts with, you know, I thought about you. I'm not going to sing it. I don't want to hurt anybody. But it's a real Sinatra upbeat arrangement, ring-a-ding-ding, uh, although he does a lot of scatting uh, and uh, very creative scatting, too. So um, uh, he, was, he, was, he was excellent, excellent. I thought he was excellent, didn't you? He, he was fine. More conventional. More conventional. More conventional than the others, and, uh, but very musical. He played a nice saxophone, too. So, uh, and uh, then we had what, uh, I, well, he, I don't know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, never mind. Um, so uh, now I'm dizzy already. Oh, and that night was the Mohonk All Stars. That's Dave Stryker, who plays guitar. Uh, Martin Wind, uh, who plays bass. Scott Robinson, who plays almost every uh, horn that you can possibly think of, including principally uh, saxophone. Well, he plays wind and horn. Yeah, and, which is weird. And Matt Wilson, who is a drummer. And they're called the Mohawk All Stars because they've appeared uh, a lot of years at Mohawk here, and um, they uh, it was collaborated. fine. Uh, it was fine. It was, you know, fine. it was more than fine. It was very good. But we know them. We knew what to expect. Right. Right. And uh, Scott Robinson's a nut, and, and he, he's very interesting. He's, very he's very engaging. Very, very emotional engaging. about uh, about everything. Uh, but uh, but he's a very engaging the guy. Past year, it, it's almost impossible not to like him. The losses of the past year. Yeah. And yeah. so, and uh, 
What was fun about him, what was super fun, was that when we sat down for the concert, yeah. looking at the stage, okay, Scott Robinson walks in from the, from the balcony. Yeah. Walks in a door at the back of the stage with yeah. all his instruments. And it turns out... And it's freezing cold outside. Outside freezing. in 20 degree weather. Right. Just playing with how the um, ice yeah. reacts, the ice of the lake, Mohonk, reacts with the sound of his saxophone, right. his trumpets, etc. Turns out when you play a saxophone over a frozen lake, you get a different sound. Uh, Very exciting. Now we know. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway. so that was fine. That and, was, that was expected. We're still hanging in. Sunday morning, uh, which what I thought was the highlight, was something they called parlor games, jam session, in which they had every Once group- again, weird. Weird, Weird that you could have a jazz highlight at 10 o'clock in the morning, right. especially Sunday morning. Right, right, right. But what made it uh, fantastic well, was to... th- this is one of those things where all the different performers from the previous days uh, do a little bit. Right. And then at a certain point, they all join together. They all join. They all start jamming together. And that is just amazing. Just amazing. And it's like you don't know what you're going to get. And frankly, they're performers don't know what they're going to get. And you can see they're reacting to each other. They're smiling. They're nodding. They're pointing. You do a solo. You do a solo. I'm going to go this. You, I'm going to do this riff. You do that riff. But it's totally extemporaneous. And it's amazing the way it gelled. It was just fantastic. Well, the host of the whole event was Helen Sun. Right. Who is a fantastic uh, jazz pianist. And we saw Helen give a concert uh, well, that afternoon seen... that's more classical. And, yeah, and jazz yeah, later, too. yeah. But, She's but, a fabulous pianist. But anyway, in this event... Um, and jazz. so all, and there were several other pianists there, yeah, right. uh, all terrific, all great. And during, you know, one of uh, during one of the the bits they did yeah. uh, in this parlor games right. um, set, uh, she sat down. She started playing. I guess the um, the base the song was Route sixty six. Route sixty six. Yeah. Okay. She's playing away. And she uh, and gestures. Play, and when she plays away, she's playing like she crazy. She gestures to uh, one of the other pianists. Right. And uh, tells him something. And then he goes over and gets a third pianist. And then they proceed to... Take turns. Take turns playing the piano. They, she would sit down. Uh, Helen's playing away. She stands up. And without missing a beat, without missing a beat, uh, the next uh, guy... Right jumps in, but the, then the next guy jumps right. in, and they keep going, but, keep but, going, but, keep going. But, but, it's all improvisation. It's all improvisation. It's crazy. They're all playing different riffs. So she's, you know, bouncing along to Route 66. She's doing what she does. Uh, and then the next guy jumps in, and uh, he's doing uh, his own riff on Route 66. I don't so, know if it was that or if it was stomping at the Savoy. But in any event, and then the third guy does it. And then they start two at the same time, and then ultimately three at the same time, banging at the piano, and they did not rehearse this. I will swear they did not rehearse no, this. No, no. And it was unbelievable. And the the singers... Well, um, you knew they were having fun. Oh, they so having the, a great time. So the singers were doing kind of the same thing. It was kind of battle battle of the instruments. So the singers, uh, Darman and... Um, what was the... Gabriel Stravelli. Um, yeah, yeah. were scat singing and they were fantastic but it was unbelievable then the bass players yeah. uh, were doing the same thing on one bass right they were you know taking turns playing the same but to bass see, to go back to the singers for a second right. again they're different very different style singers even though they're jazz singers and it's not rehearsed or minimally rehearsed and they're doing Route 66 together they're blowing the roof off the place and they're exchanging lines 
and they're alternating, and they're singing at the same time, and they're, you know, exulting in what they're doing. They're creating this marvelous music. It was just fantastic. I don't know how they do it. Uh, well, they're I professionals. To, I, you know something? <laughs> that is not a full explanation to me. So but, anyway, so, uh, that, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then later we saw... And, and um, Helen did... Helen did, did, did uh, a nice concert. Right. But, uh, you know, you... It, it was uh, just amazing. So, you know... We love the performances. Uh, it's a different kind of thing. It's nothing that we get to experience in any other venue during the year. Uh, you know, it's very much cats as cats can in a sense. It happens on the stage. It's created for the moment. It's hard to replace that. And as you were commenting, there's almost a sense of community. Oh well, there's a you can very much sense the community yeah. of the musicians right. with each other, right. and they're so happy to see each other and play with each other and uh, play for people, and then. You know, the, the, um, the spectators become the audience, become part of, the, well, part of that community together. as well. I mean, you're talking with the performers afterwards, or maybe you buy a CD. Uh, they're eating in the same dining room. We're all eating together in yeah. the dining room. Uh, well spaced out. Well, <laughs> you like to say that. Well, I, I don't want to give, I, you know, I don't want to give the impression that uh, this was yeah. anything but, well, you know, very... Very much according to oh, and, and of course, Cuomo's right. rules. We had our mask all the on. We had our mask on, and the piano yeah. players often had masks on. Nonetheless, right. you know, with all the good behavior yeah. and following the rules, nonetheless, there was a great sort of coming together, which uh, I think yeah, we all I, needed. And I, and I think the secret of the dining rooms had a huge high ceiling, so right. it, it's, it's wonderful. All right, let's move on. We're moving on. Yeah, you ready to move on? Well, you right. have other things to I say I have just then? a couple of other things. I mean, not about Mohawk, though. So we recommend a Mohawk. Um, next year, everybody sign up. No, uh, no. It's our, it's our private all right. thing. Don't, Don't sign up. Forget no, we saw this. Let us be alone there right. in our jazz ignorance. <laughs> with just, the... I feel I'm very well-versed in jazz, having gone three times. The, uh, <laughs> there was an article about something called Gottlieb Rye. I mean, um, and I, I know that you were kind of... Lukewarm in the sense, it's not amazing stuff, but it's just kind of interesting to me that it's an article in the Times uh, by a guy named uh, Bushbaum, if I recall correctly, who's exulting in his memories of the rye bread of his youth. And what's really amazing about this is that uh, the rye bread of his youth was baked in a place called Gottlieb's Bakery in Savannah, Georgia. And he is writing articles saying the best rye bread he's had in his life was from Savannah, Georgia. Okay, and you so said, the, the thing is, yeah. you're amazed because yeah. like all New Yorkers, yeah. you think, you know, the only good rye bread can be made in New York. The only good bagels are in New right. York. The right. only good pizza well, is in New York. Well, the Gottlieb story is people. People have connections to food all over the world. That could be the, the whole story. That yeah. could be the whole story. But now just to tell the story, this bread. for what it's worth, he does take that into account. He says, look, you have to understand, first, the Gottlieb's right. They were not the only uh, rye bread baker or Jewish bakery in Georgia historically. In fact, his ancestors had run a Jewish bakery. They ended up uh, being the only one that survived because they were the only one that was kosher. And whenever you had a Jewish event, in order to make it an event that could be attended, uh, well by attended by everyone. Orthodox as yeah, well, as well yeah. of conservative and reformed, you needed kosher food. So the other ones went by the wayside, 
It was just Gottlieb. There's not, just to be clear, there's not a big uh, Jewish population, according to this fellow in Savannah. It's just a few thousand. It had been larger earlier, but then it went down. But whatever. So he comes away with this memory of Gottlieb Rybred. He comes to New York. He said, I know. And he comes to New York 30 years ago. And he says, I know uh, everything's the best in New York. A lot of Jews in New York. I'm going to find Rybred like you never believe. And he dutifully goes to all these places. And he never found a Rybred that matches it. Uh, and it might could be exactly what you're saying, Tamsin, uh, that it's just a matter of you can't match the, the uh, rye bread of your youth. He makes one observation, which I didn't know, which is that Jewish rye bread has a sourdough element. There's sourdough starter in it, mm-hmm. which, uh, and I kind of like sourdough, and maybe that's the reason, because you grow up eating a rye mm-hmm. bread that has a sourdough component in it. So who knew? Uh, and the story of Gottlieb's is such that uh, at a certain point it went out of business because it couldn't compete. With the uh, with the supermarkets, and then it was sort of restarted by one of the Gottlieb heirs uh, two or three years ago in a mall. Let's give it another shot, and they lasted a couple of years. And they went out of business again. COVID didn't help, so they're gone. Uh, and this guy's left with his memories, and he weaves it well, into a story. What was of interesting his was he moved at a certain point. A he moved. Well, he moved to New York. B he became a vegan. Oh, I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Oh, did he? <laughs> so, the, some of his his reminiscence there yeah. is about uh, oh, that's making right. pastrami right. sandwiches right. with his right. family yeah. as a kid. But when uh, what's interesting is when his mother becomes ill and yeah. he has to take turns with his siblings, he would go Going down to, to Savannah, Savannah right. and t- stay a week there. On his way out of town, he would grab a couple of loaves. Yeah. Uh, at Gottlieb's and, he, and freeze them right. and make his own vegan you know, yeah, equivalent sam- Reuben sandwiches. Right. Vegan Reubens. And, but he would swear that the uh, rye bread was the best. Look, you know, it's funny because you went uh, just this afternoon to a place in Newtown called Moishenitzis, which is a Jewish delicatessen. Yes, Dixon introduced us right. Right. And we to were Moishenitzis. eating a bagel from Moishenitzis just a couple hours ago and, and you said... Fabulous. It tastes like a real bagel. There you go. You know, because most bagels you buy, even in New Jersey, not far from New York, just (laughs) taste like donut-shaped rolls. Um, They don't have that real chewy bagel sense. Right, so there you go. Um, So there's something to it. But I also bought rye bread there. Well, we'll try that later. So we'll have to see how Should have tried it before the show. I'm sure it's just as good as Gottlieb's. So uh, anyway, I mean, it is fun to hear people's uh food memories yeah and and food memories and, 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 are, and nothing are, ever tastes the way you remember it right, right nothing yeah although i have to say mohonk not the greatest food in the world yeah excellent new york cheesecake yeah well they're in new york new york state yeah <laughs> i guess that counts yeah they have a lot of dairy sources there okay so i just uh you pointed out to me an article about virtual tours yeah and I was like, oh, we were virtual tours. I'm so sick of virtual. That's right. That's what you said um, to me. You were sick of but, it. But uh, it, uh, it actually, um, I took a look at it. It's uh, house tours. Um, and, uh, well, the title of the article, the headline is, Tour a Historic Home from the Comfort of Your Own. Yeah. And actually, the leader was um, Newport. Really? Historic Newport. Uh, I guess uh, you can go to newportmansions.org mm-hmm. and you can go in virtually the mansions. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. If you like going in mansions um, and you don't have to climb any stairs, 
anything like that. And, uh, it, you know, it's virtual tours have improved a fair amount over the time. And, you know, there are little circles you can hover over and it gives you some information about uh, some of the items you're seeing, you know, the um, artwork or whatever. So, you know, not so bad. And, uh, yeah, I might do that. I might do that once in a while. Another fun one that they suggested was uh, Mark Twain's house. Mark Twain's house is a riot up in Connecticut. And uh, he built it. He called it, it eclectic uh, because it's just uh, kind of out of his own, um, you know, fantastic uh, personal aesthetic rooms by uh, decorations by Tiffany etc so th that's a kind of a fun place too wild place uh, um, Twain was a great spender he eventually had to move out of that house due to finances so and and the other you know Alexis Slosky wrote the article she also mentioned the Frick okay which uh, the Frick Museum starts out as a mansion and uh Here's the deal about the Frick. It's going to be closed for a couple of years while they renovate. And uh, the artworks are going to be in the uh, the new Frick, the Madison Frick, whatever they call it. Uh, hmm. So there you have that. But um, if you get lonely, nostalgic for the Frick experience, uh, you can do that online. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, it's better than I got a little bit excited reading the article, but God, still. Well, it's, it's better it would than be nothing. It would be better to be somewhere. Yes, it would. As but you just were somewhere, so there you go. Can't complain. Let's let's hear you say can't complain. I can complain. Well, it's true you can. Uh, so in terms of uh, memories of uh, shows, there's an article in the Times called "Piles of Broadway Memories" by a woman named Maya Phillips. It turns out to be a relatively young woman about her playbills, the uh, playbill being the program that you get when you go to a Broadway show or even an off-Broadway show. And um, it was not terribly interesting just because Maya is a fairly young person, so she's got playbills going all the way back to Rent. Rent is not very long ago. But if you want to see playbills, well, if you want to see playbills, forget the playbills that Tams and I have, you know, have, have collected inadvertently almost, which go back 30 or 40 years. We have playbills from my parents that go back to, when would you say, the 40s? Oh, yeah. I Easily. Mean, uh, unbelievable. Like, you know, uh, it, it's crazy. Like, damn Yankees or something like that with the original yeah, kids. Yeah, I, th I think we've mentioned this before, and this, this is not uh, the most unusual thing. Yeah. They're, they're great fun to look at because you realize how many great shows your parents went to. Right. Your parents trucked in from... Long Island, from yeah. the suburbs of Long Island. Trucked in. Trucked in, well. <laughs> what? Long, Long Island, Island Railroad, Railroad right. probably. But um, they really... Went to shows. Went to shows. So the, the question is... What's the question? Do you keep all this? Well, we have discussed that too. And the, uh, the, by all logic, by all uh, condo logic, whatever this person's name is. Uh, Marie. You, Marie. You don't keep them. Why well, keep them? You have the memories no, in I your head. Keep but, them if, you, if they bring you joy. There you go. Well, I think they kind of do. I mean, yes, you can write them down. And I made a list of all the shows we, we went to. So we have that. And it's nice to have that list. And the truth is, 
it's not logical because it's not like the playbills are chock full of information about the show you're seeing. The way the playbills put together is it's got a title page that has your show. It's got one or two pages about perhaps the background or how the show was written or developed or something like that. It has a list of the songs. It has a list of the cast. But the playbill is 25 pages long, and it's filled with advertisements and a few articles about other shows. So it's not interviews, and it, but it evokes. It, no, the going I'm, to I'm, the show. I'm, I don't disagree you with remember you. I'm going there. The I don't poster. understand how, but it does evoke. It, it's in your hands. You see, it's, even it's, just looking at the ads for restaurants that no longer exist. And cigarettes. That were, right. You know, uh, the place to go or, or whatever. Uh, it, it brings back memories. But again, the point is... Even having the thing in your hand, that it, it was in your hand. 30, 40, 50 years ago. I mean... I mean, some people frame them and hang them up. The ones they well, like. Yes. Uh, yeah. The ones that are great memories. Listen, it, I'm with you. If they bring, bring you joy, uh, you keep them in But this is getting complicated because, you know, a few weeks ago there was the article about you got to save your CDs even though you don't play well, them. Well, see, I didn't buy that. And, I didn't uh, buy that. Now we got to pl- save the, the that playbills. That was terribly unconvincing. That was Anthony Tomasini. Terribly unconvincing. Uh, but in any event... Uh, we're holding on to them. We're holding on to them for now until we run out of room. Okay. So but it you, was kind of cute reading uh, this young person's. Yeah, same. She doesn't even think she's that young. Well, she's wrong. Because whether, well, whether you realize it or, or not, Daniel, rent was a long time ago. Oh, no. I, yes. Just, just a few years yes. ago. You know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway. Uh, Speaking she, of which. She also didn't really come up with any great reasons. No, no, to no. Be, but you can't help it. You can't you help can't it. You can't help it. Okay, speaking of memories. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> um, there's a, well, there's a recommendation in, uh, or there's an article, I guess you call it, in the New York Times about a new Netflix movie yeah. called The Dig. Mm-hmm. All right? And it's about Sutton Who, mm-hmm. okay, in England, mm-hmm. an Anglo-Saxon burial site. Okay, from the 6th, maybe 7th uh, century. Okay, way back there. It's the one, everybody's studied it. I've taught it a zillion times. And uh, it's the one where there's a, you can see the, the kind of ghostly outline of uh, this ancient ship. Okay, somebody was buried in this ship underground. Uh, it's in this whole burial field of all these mounds. And you know, he, we think it was Redwald okay, of East Anglia, was buried with all manner of, um, you know, uh, fabulous, you know, shields and, uh, you know, um, uh, belt buckles and all these riches. It was an amazing find. And so this is really the story of the find. A woman named, uh, I think, Edith Pretty owned the property. It had all these bumps on it. Um, It seemed maybe most of, you know, these were burial sites. They probably had been raided in the past, but she was sure that something was there. And so it's about her and the man she hired to dig. Uh, Basil Brown, um, an archaeologist who is played by, by Ralph Fiennes. Okay, so um, the show itself is directed by Simon Stone. All right, and um, let's see, Carrie Mulligan plays Edith, oh, her name is Edith Pretty, 
All right, wealthy but ailing widow mm-hmm. who is des- desperate to connect with the past, partly because her um, husband died rather young. And uh, the secret to this show is not a lot was improvised. A lot was improvised. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that's a good thing. Okay, when you just uh, let the actors win. Oh, no, why not? The the reviews I've seen are a little lukewarm. But here's the fun thing. The fun thing about Sutton Who is, okay, that, uh, so there's this great video um, that you can watch on YouTube Mm -hmm. uh, put together by a show called Ghost Watching. Yeah. And uh, this very nice fella, Len Cox, British gentleman, uh, comes on and tells the story of his mother, Dorothy Cox, who is uh, the person who told Mrs. Pretty that uh, she was seen through the window. She would come, Dorothy would come visit uh, Edith. They were great friends, and she would see these ghostly soldiers marching about this one particular mound. Mm-hmm. All right? And uh, she said she's sure it's something important. All right. So when Mrs. Pretty hires Basil and she says, I think you should dig up that mound. He says, no, it's already been dug up. There's nothing there. And he goes, he starts somewhere else. Eventually he comes back to the the mound recommended by Mrs. Cox. And that's where they find the treasures. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All because of this uh, ghostly vision. As I said, you can uh, Google Sutton Who on YouTube, and you can find this uh, video of this very nice fellow telling this story. So, um, I don't know, it it might be uh, worth watching the show. Ralph Fiennes is often good. I hear he really did the whole method thing. Oh, did he? Yeah, he... um, He's kind of a nutty guy. he He worked really hard to get the accent right. He also, I think, bought an old bicycle, an old British bicycle, to give himself the feeling of what it was like to pedal well, yeah. around. I guess I read that. And, in and, flannels, like right. this guy did. And even though I think he was near, from an area near there, too, and yet he still uh, had to dig into this. Yeah, he's, but he's, I, I actually like him quite a bit. I like him quite a bit. All right. Okay, we'll the, dig the Dig on Netflix. All right. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. All right. They don't tell the Sutton Who story the same way I do. No. Who they, does? No. Who does? They didn't, uh, they, they, you know, Mrs. Cox doesn't come up at all, I don't think. Well, uh, not everyone knows what you don't hear. That's why people have to tune in to the podcast. Um, finally, uh, obituary, baseball player. As uh, everyone Speaking of Sutton. <laughs> as everyone probably knows, Hank Aaron passed away this week, the great slugger who had the home run record. But the other person who passed away, who I want to talk about a little bit, is Don Sutton, as Tamsin alluded to a moment ago. Uh, Don Sutton was a pitcher who won over 300 games, played primarily for the Dodgers, but for some other teams. Uh, He was the kind of guy who uh, never was the best pitcher in baseball in any particular year, never won the Cy Young Award as the top hurler of that particular year, Uh, never pitched uh, a no-hitter, but... um, he uh, he only had one twenty win season, but he pitched for a long time. Some people call these folks compilers, and yet he was he was a very very good pitcher, and he deservedly was eventually put into the Hall of Fame. Always known to be a great guy, sunny disposition. The Times has a story 
about, you know, he never won a World Series, and one of his great opportunities was in 1982, and he lost a critical game to a very young pitcher named John Stuper, who uh, is now the coach of the Yale baseball team. And Stuper tells a story even now that at the end of the game, while his team was celebrating, they had just won game six of the World Series, Sutton came into the that locker room uh, and um, congratulated uh, Stuper uh, uh, on his pitching and said, uh, this celebration wouldn't be taking place uh, without you. And he lost the game. He was congratulating the other pitcher. And he's just considered a very nice guy and uh, became a broadcaster for the Braves, a well-loved, likable figure. Um, you know, it's funny, and I was thinking about this. Hank Aaron was always a super great player and obviously the home run king except uh, for Barry Bonds, unless you don't like Barry Bonds and the steroids. Um, of course, uh, and Aaron had to break Ruth's record. But uh, he was also often considered a little bit churlish. Uh, and Willie Mays, too, is contemporary, a little bit churlish. And people talk about race, and they try to draw, the, draw it all out based on that, saying that must have been it. And it's not like uh, Aaron would go on at length about that. But there's something else going on, the difference between players of Aaron's era and players like Don Sutton, even though they're close in time, they're about 10 or 12 years apart. It was a critical 10 or 12 years. Here's the point. The point is that um, free agency did not come to baseball until 1976, okay? Before free agency, you could only play for the team that had signed you. You didn't have any negotiation power. You had no leverage. As a result, you made a lot less money. Post-76, the players were able to start making more money. What does this mean? This means that Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron, whose final year was 1976, so he absolutely ran up to this against this and never got the benefit from it, never made more than $240,000 a year, mm. which is shocking. Yeah. Because players today, not Hank Aaron, get $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. All right? Uh, Don Sutton, who uh, played uh, 10 or 12 years after Hank Aaron, I mean, he started 10 or 12 years after they did overlap. Uh, he, because he benefited in part by this, right? His, his salary was he reached $900,000 and was like that for several years, which is, again, not this year's levels, but three or four times when Hank Aaron was able to make, and he wasn't Hank Aaron. And he reveled in the fact that he made such a great living. You know, Don Sutton, Hank Aaron had modest uh, upbringing. Don Sutton's uh, father was a sharecropper. And they asked him about baseball and loyalty and how he feels about his craft. He said, "This is are you kidding me? This is the greatest. I get to make a living like this, doing this. As a matter of fact, they have a quote. This plugs right into free agency. They asked him if he's loyal to the Dodgers. He said, you know something? I'm the most loyal player money can buy. (laughs) And uh, he said, you know something else? Uh, When I was a major league pitcher, I was not a Dodger. I was a man playing for the Dodgers. He was a child of free agency, and it affected, frankly, a lot of the way he looked at his experience in baseball, and for very good reason. Okay, so uh, that's all we have this week. A very uh, jam-packed week, you might say. Right. If, if, if I can re, uh, reflect the jazz experience. Right. Uh, and We uh, should also mention that we did get fresh air at Mohonk. Oh, yeah. It was great to be out in the mountains. Of course. It was great to be uh, swimming in the pool. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they have ice skating there. It's we fantastic. feel revitalized. We're revitalized. Getting ready for next week. See you then. This is Tamsin Granger. And Dan Abuhoff. At Tamsin and Dan, read the paper.